You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1961st edition of St. Edmundsbury News Talk for the 11th of January 2024. The editor of this edition is Sue Aitchison. The producer is Colin Holmes and your readers are David and Carol Goodrum. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Flood chaos again. Deprived estate to be targeted for extra help. Fears raised as council looks to slash services with £64.7 million cuts. Market trader calls for police patrols as thieves target stalls. Some 15 to 20 pub regulars were stranded overnight as heavy rainfall battered Suffolk. There was no way in and out of the village of Somersham near Ipswich, leaving regulars at the Duke of Marlborough pub cut off overnight between Thursday, January the 4th and Friday, January the 5th. Aaron Douglas, who runs the pub with his wife April, said he had never seen this in his 18 years in hospitality. Mr Douglas said, We had about 15 to 20 of our regulars in here because they could not get home. Every route into the village and out of the village was blocked, and even the bigger cars struggled. In my whole career working in pubs, I have never had to do this. My wife was finishing up at around 10.30pm and people started coming back, so we thought we couldn't do anything about it. Some managed to sleep, like they were in an airport. Others were worried as they had left their pets at home. After putting a call out on their social pages for blankets, those who could travel to the pub were delivering sleeping bags and airbeds for people as late as 2am. Elsewhere in the county, schools were closed and flood warnings for overflowing rivers put in place as fire crews responded to emergencies and people became stuck in cars. Drivers attempted to make their way through the floods but became stuck on their routes. Suffolk Fire and Rescue responded to reports of a man stuck in a vehicle in deep flood water in Upend near Newmarket. A service spokesperson said that the crews rescued a 57-year-old man from his vehicle. One Anglian water driver was forced to abandon their van in Wash Lane in Coombs Ford near Stowmarket. In North Suffolk, Wickham Road from Biffinningham to Wickham Skeeth became blocked by flood water, a car and a lorry. The flood water was so deep that water came over the wheels of both the trapped vehicles with the lorry leaning dangerously to the side. Met Office records show occasional highs of 16 to 32 millimetres of rainfall an hour across the county. In Needham Market, Flawden Road became impassable as a result of days of extreme rainfall. Resident Peter Groom says more should be done to clear out ditches in the area to improve drainage. The resident lives in Foxglove Avenue, which has repeatedly been affected by heavy rainfall. During Storm Babette in October, homes on the street were flooded and nearby roads left impassable, and the 80-year-old tackled the water with a wooden board to move flood water into drains. Mr Groom said, I live up at the top of Foxglove Avenue. This time it wasn't as bad as the storm in October, 
when the water was up to Hargrave Avenue, and we were sweeping it with a board and trying to keep it away from the houses. This time there was just a notice in the road asking drivers to slow down. I've lived here since the 1970s, and it has been a problem for all these years. We need people to clean out the ditches. Needham Lake overflows when there's heavy rainfall. It can get two or three feet deep. A spokesperson for Baber and Mid-Suffolk District Council said that residents should be aware that a range of help is available for those affected by flooding, particularly if they are at risk of homelessness as a result of flooding or need urgent help with the clean-up. A Bury St Edmunds estate has been labelled the most deprived ward in West Suffolk and will be the focus of a new pilot to address health care inequality in the area. The Howard estate was highlighted by health care bosses in the West Suffolk Alliance in a recent report due to factors including a disabled population which at 22.1% is higher than the Suffolk average. The wider area, including Northgate, has significantly higher rates of hospital admissions compared to the national average with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, self-harm and alcohol-related conditions being some key areas of concern. Now the West Suffolk Alliance, which is made up of healthcare groups and local authorities, will focus on encouraging residents to manage their blood pressure, proactively identifying those at risk of a cardiac event. From this month, the project will be rolled out on the Howard Estate, with the hope it can be expanded to include other deprived areas. Michelle Jennings, who is Secretary of the Howard Estate Association of Residents and Tenants, called HART, said that though she had not been told about the project, she hoped it would help those that needed health support. Having lived on the Howard Estate since 1975, Mrs Jennings agreed that the community faced health challenges, including an ageing population and what she described as a phenomenal rise in the number of residents struggling with alcohol and substance abuse. She said these poor people aren't getting any help. GP surgeries will now start to contact residents whose health records show they have, they have unchecked high blood pressure or if they are at risk of having high blood pressure. Mrs Jennings said, I think the project will benefit a lot of people, especially the elderly, but it will be good for all ages. Younger people can have things picked up through blood pressure checks. <coughs> Residents contacted about their blood pressure will be asked to attend their GP surgery. As the project progresses, they may be able to have their readings taken at locations on the estate. Details will evolve based on discussions with the community. Mrs Jennings and her fellow committee members believe the new Berry Community Centre has a key role to play in helping families maintain a healthy lifestyle, with antenatal and vaccination clinics already run from the venue in Charles Place. Sue Blewett, who is the heart treasurer, said in her opinion, people on the Howard estate were happy and there was a strong community spirit. However, she would like to see more health services in the area. Praising the Estates Day Lewis Pharmacy for the work they did during the pandemic, 
Mrs. Blewett highlighted a previous campaign led by their former chairman, Ernie Bloom, who wanted to see GP services run from there. Mrs. Blewett said, It would be nice to have a triage clinic on the estate. My son has to go to his doctor's surgery every day to have his dressings changed. It can be a challenge for some people to get to town. The nearest doctor is Victoria Surgery. Her husband, Trevor Blewett, who is the vice chair of Hart, highlighted the growing population of the Howard Estate, Mildenhall Estate and Marham Park, which don't have a GP surgery. Councillor Frank Stennett, who represents the Howard Estate at town and district level, has been in contact with the West Suffolk Alliance about the blood pressure screening project. He has been told the Alliance aims to provide the checks within the community wherever feasible, including potentially from the community centre. Councillor Stennett is keen that open spaces in and around the Howard Estate can be used by families and wants to improve the offering at the Tollgate Sports Field and Oaks Road Field. He said, Johnny Chandler, founder of the Howard Estate Green Hearts, lobbied councillors for an outdoor gym. It is an amazing facility located at the heart of the Howard Estate community. It is forward thinking like this which will help improve health and well-being, including our mental health. That is why I fully support this current initiative and will continue to strive for these essential facilities for residents. Peter Whiteman, who is the West Suffolk Alliance director, said we will be working with the residents to help them take steps to reduce their risk of coronary heart disease and other long-term health conditions. Our aim is to give local people the best opportunity to live long, healthy and happy lives and hope to extend the project. The Council has proposed £64.7 million in cuts to balance its budget, including scrapping funding for the arts, making redundancies and closing two archives branches. Suffolk County Council also plans to increase its share of council tax by 4.99% to make up for inflation and increase spending for both adult and children's care. Councillor Richard Rout, Deputy Leader of Suffolk County Council, described this year as one of the most difficult the authority had faced in terms of setting its budget, but wanted to put adult and child support at the heart of its plans. Among the cuts are the proposed closure of West and East Suffolk archives branches, scrapping core funding for art and museum sector organisations and reductions in spending on dozens of services. The theatres, festivals and arts groups impacted by the plan said the cut would provide all extremely modest difference, an extremely modest difference to the authorities' finances, but the cost to Suffolk would be much more significant. Meanwhile, the Berry Society will be looking into starting a public campaign to oppose the planned closure of West Suffolk archives in Raingate Street, Berry St Edmunds. For the 2024-25 financial year, the council will have a budget of about £752 million, made up of government funding, business rates, charges for services and council tax. Of this, £105 million will be for cost pressures pressures due to inflation. Despite a 6.9% increase in its spending power, 
Suffolk County Council said it did not receive enough funding this year to make up for inflation. Over the next two years, the authority hopes to pump £74 million into adult and childcare. About £42.7 million will be allocated to children's services and £29.9 million for adult care. Councillor Rout said its spending needs for childcare rose by 28% and increased by 14% for adult support. About £11 million in savings will be made through a through reduction in staff costs. Councillor Rout said this could be done by not filling vacancies and reprioritising workloads and hope to keep redundancies to a minimum. In addition, Suffolk County Council is aiming for about £30.6 million in savings through its Adult Social Care Transformation Programme. Also, about £500,000 will be saved by stopping funding to arts and museum organisations. These organisations would receive payment for 12 months, giving them one year to seek alternative forms of revenue and easing the transition, Councillor Rout said. The Etta Royal, Berry St Edmunds, said the plan left them just over 12 months to plan for a £100,000 reduction in funding. Owen Calvert-Lyons, Artistic Director, said the proposed cut from Suffolk County Council poses a very real threat. Local authority budgets are under extreme pressure and we understand that councils are having to make difficult, difficult decisions but ceasing to invest in arts and culture is short-term thinking. He urged people to contact their councillor to express concern at the planned cuts. Roger Quince, the chair of the Etta Royal's Board of Trustees, said, with a small staff team of only 25 who have worked tirelessly over the past few years to recover from Covid and got the Etta Royal back on its feet, the loss of county council investment will be devastating for all of us. The council says centralising all the archives at the, at the hold in Ipswich could save about £140,000 a year. Historian Martin Taylor, who is also chair of the Berry Society, said the plan was an absolute bombshell and they would be looking into initiating a public campaign to, to oppose it. He said, we would be losing part of our heritage, simple as that. We are the oldest purposefully recorded Norman town in the whole country. Other measures include slashing Suffolk Fire and Rescue ICT team and a reduction of its on-call budget as well as a cut to Suffolk trading standards. A Barry St Edmunds businesswoman who was left shocked and disheartened after an expensive item was stolen from her market stall is calling for more police patrols as other traders have been targeted. Amy Willis who has been running the Cottage and Co. market stall since October, had a sheepskin cushion worth £120 stolen from her stall in Abbeygate Street just days before Christmas. Amy of Wickenbrook said that a week before the incident, another stallholder had their brand new mobile phone stolen. And on December the 23rd, at around 9am, a trader next door to Amy noticed that three of his handcrafted signs were missing, which put Amy into high alert. There's only so much you can do when you've got a crowd of customers, and there is a bit of an honesty policy, she said. 
I moved one of the sheepskin cushions to the left of the stool, behind the counter, just while I rearranged the display. When I had done the display, I turned back to get the cushion, and the cushion had disappeared. It was no longer there. I thought somebody couldn't possibly have stolen such a large and expensive cushion. It was just a disbelief, really. We really work hard to get the best designs and the best products for our customers. We spend quite a lot of time putting everything out in the morning, rearranging it and packing it away to go home. There's a lot of effort that goes into a market stall. And for someone, just to be targeting us because we're easy pickings is really, really disheartening. Now, Amy is calling on the police to carry out more patrols when the market is on to deter thieves and reassure traders. There is only so much we can do, she added. We can't install burglar alarms on our products or glass cabinets with things hidden away inside it. All these things shops can do, we can't do. It's really important to have a local market for people but if thieves keep stealing from stallholders, it's going to make it difficult for them to continue. It is really important that the police offer more patrols to discourage thieves. A Suffolk Police spokesperson said, Since the beginning of the month, as part of the constabulary's new police operating model, there has been an increase in high visibility patrols. Members of public and stallholders can be reassured they will be seeing an officer on market days where patrols are focused on the town centre. Residents living near an abandoned Bury St Edmunds shopping centre have hit out at revised plans to redevelop the site. Knights Per Home submitted revised proposals to build 43 homes and two ground floor commercial units, car and cycle parking on the site of Cornhill Walk Shopping Centre in Brent Govel Street last month. West Suffolk Council is considering the scheme which would see the 1980 shopping complex demolished. William Goodsall of Well Street said, Overall the development is still too big, cramming a large number of flats into the available footprint. What is needed for this important and sensitive site is a better designed development of a smaller number of mainly larger dwellings with more green space. Margie Scott of Well Street also objects, citing the unsightly and unsympathetic design which is completely unsuitable as one of several concerns. James Maynard Lowe of Well Street said, The site clearly needs to be redeveloped and I will be happy to support a scheme that complements the conservation area in which the Cornhill Walk sit site sits. The amended plans still fall significantly short of this. While Graham Ashley of Well Street said proposals would collectively destroy our quality of life, we would be living directly adjacent to a rammed-in car park with a narrow access next to a bin store surrounded on two sides by cycle loops and an overbearing and intimidating degree of overlooking. Maybe town living, but not as it should be. Cheryl Fernell of Well Street said Berry deserves the best, for whatever is built on this site will be there for future generations. Susan Harrington-Spear said, Having lived opposite Cornhill Walk, which has never worked since the focus was demolished, we on Well Street have hoped its replacement would benefit everyone. But no, 
The latest plan is an insult to us and all in Bury. And Penny Jones of Well Street said, This site needs to be developed and we want it to be developed, but it has to be the right development, and sadly this is not so. Bury Town Council recommends refusal. Knightspur Homes was approached for comment. <coughs> the state of some roads in Bury St Edmunds has been described as disgraceful with calls for one, like a patchwork quilt, to be resurfaced and another to be repaired as an emergency. Motorists have been venting their frustration over potholes with Station Hill, the Tollgate Triangle Junction and Mildenhall Road being branded as among the worst in town. While some defects were tackled by Suffolk Highways earlier in December, the Highways Reporting Tool for the county shows recent reports of huge potholes. The reports reveal numerous cases of damage to cars and people's concerns over the danger posed to cyclists. Councillor Diane Hind, who represents Tollgate on West Suffolk Council, said it would be better for Station Hill to be resurfaced, describing it as a patchwork quilt of defects and repairs. She is in correspondence with the County Councillor David Nettleton over the Tollgate Junction, which she described as absolutely terrible and believes should be an emergency repair. She said, it's disgraceful and sometimes you can't avoid them, potholes. She added, it's terrible everywhere and I appreciate the County Council have a lot of other things to spend money on, but... When you hear they have been given extra money for the roads, I'm sure it would be more cost-effective in the case of Station Hill to resurface it rather than keep patching it. In November, the government announced Suffolk would receive about £108 million over the next tw- 10 years, including almost £3.5 million in this financial year to boost road repairs. A retired motor trader worker who wanted to remain anonymous said Station Hill now looked like a carbon copy of Skyliner Way with potholes that have been either bodged, temporarily fixed or simply missed. They are also calling for Station Hill to be resurfaced. A taxi driver who is self-employed with A1 cars and wanted to remain anonymous described the state of some of Berry's roads as so bad and said the cost of repairing the damage to vehicles ate into driver's profit. He said, Every year I am replacing my front suspension arms as they are damaged by those bad roads and potholes. And that's not the only damage. I'm talking about drop links, steering rod ends, tyre punctures, etc. Suffolk Highways was approached for comment. Villages in Great Ashfield near Elmsville are objecting to plans which they say will double the size of a haulage operation as they fear it will lead to more serious road accidents. The director of David Black and Son Limited, which owned the site near Bacton, said the company was working with Mid-Suffolk District Council to address any comments raised about the application to change the use of the agricultural land at Redhouse Farm in Rectory Road. If approved, the area near Stonemarket will be used to store large containers and portable cabins 
for haulage firm Portable Space. Residents are already unhappy with the number of Portable Space vehicles travelling along Weatherden Road and, and School Road. Bob Richards, who has lived in the village for 26 years, said he believed lorry drivers were using the roads as a rat run between Elmswell Road, Elmswell and the A14. He said Weatherden Road and School Road are unclassified roads with blind bends and limited passing places and traffic regularly has to pull into narrow verges with deep ditches by the side of them to allow these monsters to squeeze past. Weatherden Road has a 60 mile per hour speed limit and it only needs a small error by a driver to end up in a ditch if confronted by one of these lorries. Mr Richards added, the company has an ambitious five-year expansion plan. If this application is approved, this will only lead to further plans for further expansion and further chaos on roads clearly already unsuitable for their lorries. Great Ashfield Parish Council and Mid-Suffolk District Councillor Richard Winch have also objected to the plans. Councillor Winch said he had spoken to residents worried about the amount of traffic in the village who were becoming particularly concerned the area was unsafe for walking. He said, The junction from School Road onto Elmswell Road is particularly worrying, as Elmswell Road is a busy road with cars often breaking the speed limit. There have recently been two serious accidents and there is a likelihood of further accidents. James Black, Managing Director of David Black & Son Limited, said, Our current planning application will consolidate various storage locations in the local area. Portable Space carefully considers the routes its lorries take, prioritises safety and complies with local and national highway guidance. A bid to protect the future of a historic village pub has been rejected. Hesset Parish Council applied to Mid-Suffolk District Council to grant asset of community value status for the Five Bells pub in the street. This would have helped to protect the future of the pub, which closed down eight years ago for community use. But in a letter to the residents, the parish council said, Despite the wonderful response we had from residents, the application was unsuccessful. This is extremely disappointing. The part of the test that we were unable to, to, to demonstrate was that the community was taking social or well-being benefit from the use of the five bells currently or in the recent past. The recent past is not a defined period in the legislation. However, a rough starting point of five years tallies with the consideration for future uses. The five bells building was constructed in the 16th and 17th centuries and is Grade 2 listed. Asset of Community Value of Registration gives planning authorities reasons to reject any proposal involving loss of the pub. It also gives the community the opportunity to bid for the property if it is sold or leased and allows councils powers of compulsory purchase if community use is in jeopardy. A spokesperson for Mid-Suffolk District Council said we will always carefully consider any nominations in line with national legis legislation. On this occasion, there was no evidence that the community benefits outlined were current or, sufficient, or sufficiently recent, which is one of the requirements. 
A further attempt to nominate the building can be made, but additional evidence would have to be provided. A Suffolk malting supplier saw more than 100 tonnes of its product destroyed as a total of nine fire engines were called to tackle a blaze. Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service sent the fire crews to Muntons off Needham Road in Stowmarket on the 4th of January after a fire had been reported at the site. The scene had been made safe after crews tackled a smoulder in the facility for about seven hours during the night. A spokeswoman for Muntons issued an update that said... There was a smoulder in the intake dryers affecting around 130 tonnes of, of barley. The fire brigade responded quickly to our early warning system. We had a total of nine vehicles on site with four engines that rotated in shift throughout the night to diligently dampen all the barley affected. We are pleased to report that the smoulder was contained and has now been entirely eliminated. The site is up and running as usual so there is no risk of a chocolate malt loaf or beer shortage. Initial reports suggested that up to 16 crews had been called to the smoulder, including teams from Ipswich, East Haverhill and Ixworth, alongside crews from Princes Street, Holbrook, Debenham, Needham Market, Stowmarket, Hadley, Sudbury, Long Melford, Bury St Edmunds, Elmswell and Newmarket. All site personnel have been accounted for and no injuries have been reported. The final few crews remained at the site as a precaution. Muntons is one of the world's largest producers of malt and has two plants in the UK, one in Stowmarket and one in Yorkshire. The firm purchases more than a quarter of a million tonnes of locally grown malting barley every year from which the malt and ingredients are made, including brewing and distilling malts and at-home beer-making kits. Farmers whose land has been blighted by fly-tipping have welcomed a new rule which bans councils from charging householders who take their DIY waste to dumps. From the start of this year, householders no longer have to pay to get rid of small-scale DIY waste at council recycling centres. According to the government, about a third of local authorities previously charged a fee for disposing of DIY waste, including Suffolk County Council. Although Suffolk accepts anything classified as household waste free of charge, it imposed a fee for hardcore, rubble, soil, ceramic bathroom items and plasterboard when householders visited sites. These fees included £2.50 to £5 for sheets of plasterboard, and £2 to £2.50 for bags of hardcore. But the government has now responded to a consultation which found 93% of householders supported the abolition of the fees and introduced the ban from the 31st of December. Farmers have been lobbying for years to get rules changed to end the fly-tipping blight. They complain they are often targeted by fly-tippers. George Gittes of Simmons Farm at Risby and the Suffolk National Farmers Union Chairman Andrew Blenkeren, who is Director of the Euston Estate near Thetford, have both fallen prey to fly-tippers. They welcomed the abolition of the DIY waste charges as a step in the right direction. Mr Blenkeren spent three hours last September 
clearing about 50 or 60 burst black bin bags filled with dirty nappies and household waste fly-tipped on the estate. Hopefully it will help to, in some small way, in reducing the volume of waste tipped on farmland and roadsides, he said. Anything that can be done to make waste recycling centres more attractive to those with waste can only be a good thing. Mr Gittus welcomed the measure but feared even with the, wave, with the waiving of fees some householders would be deterred by having to book a slot. The trouble is some will be too lazy even to do that because you have to book in online, he said. But, he added, it has to be a real positive. Suffolk taxpayers are being asked to share their opinions on a precept rise which would increase the police's budget by £3.4 million. Tim Passmore, Suffolk's Police and Crime Commissioner, has launched a survey to gauge the public's views on a draft proposal to increase Band D taxpayers' precept by £13 per year. Mr Passmore said the 4.9% increase would help to give Suffolk Constabulary the resources needed to keep up with demand, and it was not a decision they took lightly. I must ensure that the constabulary has the resources needed to provide an efficient and effective service whilst ensuring that I use Suffolk taxpayers' money for the maximum benefit, he said. As has been the case for several years, our funding from government is just not enough, so I really do need to consider an increase the precept to maintain to increase the, the precept to maintain the level of police service in the county. In the county, Suffolk is one of the lowest-funded forces in the country and faces significant challenges. The full £13 increase for a Band D property would increase the policing budget by £3.4 million and give the constabulary the resources it needs to keep pace with demand. The exact centre of Suffolk has been calculated and marked by an oak sapling to honour the king's coronation. With precise measurements, the centre of the county is just west of a hamlet called Middlewood Green, near Stowmarket, and was identified by the University of Suffolk. Dr Mark Bowler, who's a lecturer in wildlife, ecology and conservation science at the university, calculated the position using mapping algorithms to determine the geometric centre called the centroid. It is curious but true that the midpoint of Suffolk is near Middlewood Green, said Dr Bowler. A centroid is the technical centre point of an area, he explained, and it would have shifted slightly when the county boundary was redefined in the 1970s. The current boundary of Suffolk came into effect on the 1st of April 1974, after the Lothingland district near Great Yarmouth was ceded to Norfolk and Newmarket was retained by Suffolk. James Nunn, who farms the land with his father David, has agreed to corner off the plot and include the tree within the protection of his wider agri-environment management plans. The Lord Lieutenant of Suffolk, Clare Countess of Euston, who is the King's representative in the county, attended a small event on the 5th of January to plant an oak sapling specifically selected from Windsor Great Park by the Crown Estate. 
The King officially became Ranger of Windsor Great Park in 2022, 70 years after his father. The Ranger of the Great Park offers oversight and guidance to the Deputy Ranger and his team in the day-to-day stewardship of one of the country's oldest estates. Whilst King Charles III's coronation was last summer, the best time to plant trees is in the winter. And, as 2024 marks the 50th anniversary of the Suffolk County boundary, we have today, it was decided that January would be the better time to mark the occasion. The tree is visible from the footpath Earl Stonham and a quarter of a mile west of Larters Lane, Middlewood Green. And now for some letters. <clears throat> and the first is from Ian Bland of Ipswich. It's entitled Electricians versus Doctors. Both of the above do a really skilful work. They both deserve to be well paid. If you sit at a desk and fill in a screen, computer, phone, television, fill in a sheet of A4 and talk, meetings, etc., you're actually doing nothing. All you are doing is asking or telling someone else to do something. Let's hope that when Suffolk County Council sheds jobs, it is these totally non-productive jobs that go, and the coal-faced people are kept. As they're looking to cut £11 million from the wage bill, how about getting rid of the financial team for starters? Does the CEO need to be paid a huge six-figure salary of £184,000? Sadly, management jobs will be retained and the actual workers will be shed. Would you rather have a couple of social workers or carers on £35,000 a year helping the population of Suffolk? Or would you rather have a manager on £70,000 sitting in an office doing nothing of any use? And this letter is from Anthony Georgi of Noddershall. I am very pleased that Edward Walker of Rendlesham objects to my simplification of a Sparky's role. He is, of course, right. But he misses the point of my letter, which was to get a debate with your readers about how much a junior doctor should be paid. Some of your readers will happily pay £15 an hour in cash to their cleaners, the same rate as a newly qualified doctor will be paid. Does Mr Walker agree that junior doctors are underpaid, or is he part of the silent majority who prefer to hide behind a supine uh, government who will not pay the doctors more because it will mean a tax rise? And this letter is from Jeannie Kemp of Shimpling. On December the 6th, a particularly cold day, I slipped and fell on the lethally icy surface of St Andrew's car park in Bury. The fall resulted in several fractures of my right elbow. Because of the conditions and the pain I suffered, I was unable to get up, despite the kind efforts of several good Samaritans who stopped to help, and to whom I am forever grateful. I spent more than two hours on the road surface, covered in coats and blankets, before an ambulance arrived to take me to West Suffolk Hospital. Other users of the car park will know that it has a sloping surface, so it is particularly dangerous when covered with ice. As I lay there, I saw lots of other people slip and fall, though I hope none of them ended up like I did. Even the ambulance crew had problems keeping their feet. Once at the hospital, our wonderful National Health Service looked after me. There were several examinations, x-rays and a scan. Because of the complicated nature of the fracture, my arm was initially encased in plaster, 
and I was sent home after a night in hospital. Ten days later, I spent another two days in hospital and was fitted with a new metal elbow joint during a six-hour operation. I will now have to go through some period of physiotherapy. It will be weeks, if not months, before I regain full use of my elbow. I am retired, but work as a volunteer at the hospital, and it will be a long time before I can resume my duties. I am now left speculating on how much all this has cost. Think of all these skilled hospital staff and equipment. It must run to tens of thousands of pounds, and it might all have been avoided if only the council had spent a few pounds on salt or grit to spread on the surface of the car park. I would be interested to know if not doing so was a deliberate policy or if it was just neglect on that particular day. And the next letter has been written by Andy Mellon, who is the leader of the Mid-Suffolk District Council, and Caroline Topping, who is the leader of the um, East Suffolk District Council. The letter is entitled, We Have Ambitious Goals for the Year. As Green Party leaders of two of Suffolk's district councils, we are writing to thank residents for the opportunity given to us in last May's elections to lead Mid-Suffolk and East Suffolk district councils for a four-year term. Later in the new year, a third Suffolk council will also have a Green leader as Councillor Deborah Saw takes over the rotating leadership at Baber. The mandate given us to steer these councils in a different direction to that of the party previously in power is both a privilege and a hefty responsibility. As we enter a new year, we will continue to take every opportunity to address both the grave climate crisis and the serious social challenges many people face, recognising that bold action is called for. Inevitably, we are constrained by government financial cuts and ever-changing legislation. However, it is vital to give local residents better opportunities in terms of how we all live, travel, consume, stay warm and healthy, manage our finances and engage with each other. Policies to provide warmer homes, more sustainable travel, improve recycling and green growth opportunities are vital. Alongside this, we must continue to give extra support to individuals and families facing times of particular difficulty. There will always be voices criticising green, low-carbon and social justice policies and opposing how we spend and invest public money. However, tackling social inequalities and reducing carbon emissions is most effective when it has broad-based support and we hope our political opponents will work with us to achieve these urgent goals. Such goals are ambitious and will take time as we work to reverse regressive policies within our districts. We will work faster wherever we can. Honesty, transparency, listening and explaining will all be key to our approach. We look forward to working with our residents for a better new year. Richard Kemp from Long Melford has written, Before we start attaching political blame labels to the current proposed Suffolk County Council budget proposals, it is interesting to look at the real money situation. 
Having spent nearly 50 years as an elected member in local government, it is quite apparent to me that national governments, whatever their political persuasion, have little belief in the value of local government. It is shown over some 25 years by the lack of realistic funding. Different figures from different sources. National Audit Office estimated reduction of government grants in real terms 49.5% period 2010 to 2018. Then Institute for Government approximately 40% in real terms reduction for a similar period. Earlier years give much the same picture, so that means two distinct impacts on local government a heavier burden for taxpayers, and cuts for delivery of services. Until that basic situation is resolved, then the problem will be ongoing. So it begs the question, what is the answer? The first step must be to stop the constant wastage of money by national government and a realistic appraisal of what we do as a nation. There are a lot of national government functions that could be reduced to a sensible level, many far too controversial for me to give an opinion on. Going back to my opening sentences, what we need now is an honest appraisal at national level, whether the efforts of local government are required, and if the answer is positive, then to work out a realistic means of funding those services. And the next letter is from Ian Hollands of Langham, and the title is Standards Not Acceptable. The East Anglian Daily Times standards of reporting have declined to the point at which the enjoyment I have in reading the newspaper is now outweighed by exasperation with the increasingly sloppy language, poor syntax and defective grammar of its content. While today's solicitors are by no means the worst I have met in recent issues, they are enough to make me decide to cancel my order for a newspaper of which I have been a reader since the 1960s. Jeff Hall, via email, says it was a depressing year for the poor. A depressing year at best, that's how I view 2023. High inflation, cost of living crisis, children hungry and living in poverty, NHS in a mess, strikes, layoffs, pensioners choosing to either heat or eat to survive. Sunak helps the rich, not bothering about the poor. Please, next election, sack the lot from Sunak, Hunt, Keegan, Barclay and the rest. Then we may have a chance with the next government to survive. And this letter is from Barry Peters, who, of course, is the editor of the Berry Free Press. Health is always a major talking point and a political hot potato. Just look at this week's junior doctor strikes. All sides of the political spectrum have been pitching in with a view as we approach the 2024 general election. Whether or not you think these strikes are political, the parties certainly do, and all are manoeuvring to try to come out smelling of roses. At the end of the day, though, patient care and treatment outcomes have to be the ultimate focus and how we can achieve real improvements there. So, news of a different approach to health at a local level is welcome. The Howard Estate in Berry St Edmunds, which we heard earlier, is being targeted as a key area where health inequalities can be tackled in West Suffolk. 
described by an alliance of local authorities and health groups as the area's most deprived ward, those living on the estate will be encouraged to take steps to reduce their risk of coronary heart disease and other long-term health conditions. We've all just hopefully enjoyed Christmas and New Year celebrations with family and friends, and maybe toasted absent friends. I know I did. If just one family can gain more time with a loved one, thanks to this proactive strategy, surely that's a positive outcome from local politics. This letter from V. Stevens of Thurston. I'm hoping very much someone will read this and do something about it. The other week I went to the bus stop in Thurston to catch the 9.52am service into Bury St Edmunds, as this is the only way I could get there. But two days running, no bus turned up. Buses do not seem to exist in Thurston. We moved to Thurston a year ago and thought, what a lovely place. And And there, so many bus stops in the area that you could imagine there'd be plenty of buses, especially as there is no doctor's surgery. How wrong can you be? There is certainly an older community here and not everyone has a car. They've set up a taxi service at £5 a time, which is great, but does not help you if you have a hospital or doctor's appointment Monday, Tuesday, Thursday or Friday. No go. And you have to book in advance. Surely all the new developments around here warrant giving a proper bus service another try. We are in the school holidays again and no buses run then, which is ridiculous. I would love to know how other people in the area feel, or is it just me? And uh, this letter is from Dave Mayhew of Needham Market and is headed Preparedness for Floods. If the roads get congested, we increase capacity with dual carriageways and motorways. So, with the flooding, we need to increase capacity for water by digging out the rivers or storm drains like in the USA. My local river, the Gipping, used to be navigable all the way to Stowmarket, but now it's so silted up the riverbed is only a few feet below the banks. Digging them out and putting the silt on the banks and clearing out ditches seems a sensible option. And now we have one or two features. This first one is by Martin Taylor, who is looking back. Um, It's entitled, War Took Its Toll on the Town. The August bank holiday fete on Monday, August the 3rd, at Hardwick Heath in 1914, was, as ever, an enjoyable day of picnics and entertainment. However, the mood of euphoria was sadly curtailed because, after weeks of speculation and mounting tension, Great Britain declared war on Germany on the very next day, August the 4th, because of Germany's invasion of Belgium, a neutral country. Troops were immediately mobilised. People were told the war would be over in months, if not weeks, as we had right on our side. The 6th Cyclist Battalion Suffolk Regiment was cheered off in Churchgate Street by a large crowd on the Wednesday. The same day, the 5th Battalion left by train from Northgate Station, loudly cheered by an equally large crowd. As a garrison town, army reservists streamed into Bury from all over Suffolk, while horses were commandeered from the surrounding district. As to be expected, housewives made bulk purchases of necessities in case of scarcity, but strangely rationing did not start until February 1918. 
Berry's only cinema at the time was The Empire, opened January 1911 on the corner of St Andrews Street South, and today's market thoroughfare, and an agreement was reached with the Berry Free Press that war messages would be shown on the Empire's screen. Any war telegrams would be posted in the Abigate Street offices of the BFP. Otley Agricultural College near Ipswich began training land army girls as it was soon realised there would be a shortage of men to work the land. Sadly, one misogynistic farmer declared that he had not seen a woman who was worth anything yet. One surprising aspect of World War I over World War II is that there was more bombing of the town in the First War, several buildings being affected, starting in 1915, mainly because street lighting was not switched off. Though not bombed, the Griffin was attacked then. Its naturalised landlord, Theodore Jacobus, saw it as a revenge attack. However, seven totally innocent victims, including children, were attributed to a zeppelin that bombed the town in 1916. High explosive bombs and incendiaries needlessly raised rained death and destruction. A blue plaque by the Berry Society recorded this horrific event and it's on the Denny Building corner of King's Road and St Andrew's Street South. The armistice of November the 11th, 1918, brought an end to the war, trench warfare, poison gas and misguided leadership, some of the major contributions to the millions killed. 427 men from Berry St Edmunds who made the supreme sacrifice, however, are not listed on the Angel Hill cenotaph, but are recorded in a book of remembrance that is turned daily in the cathedral. With the war over, celebrations would see beer running out, street lights coming back on, and church bells ringing again. Two somewhat surprising outcomes of the town's involvement were firstly that of the flax factory, which was built in the south of Bury, Hardwick Industrial Estate, to process this crop grown on nearby water meadows to make linen for aeroplane wings. The factory was in full production in 1919, but, alas, arrived to the Parkley closing in 1923-4. stroke It eventually became the hand laundry. Secondly, as a reward for the town's unswerving support for fundraising for the war effort, where a reputed £50,000 was gathered in by the local war savings committee, the borough council was presented with a Mark J British tank that had seen service on the Somme. Just what the town needed... It would end up in the Abbey Gardens until taken away just before the Second War. The concrete pad it stood on is still there. And this uh, feature is written by Mark Murphy and it's um, entitled Cutting Funding to Our Theatres is an Act of Cultural Vandalism. I'm joining the chorus of people calling on Suffolk County Council to reverse its decision to cut arts funding for places like the Theatre Royal in Berris and Edmonds and the new Wolsey Theatre in Ipswich. As part of its plans to make £64.7 million in savings over two years, the Council announced this week that it would stop its core funding of £500,000 to the art and museum sector from April 2025. This cultural vandalism must stop. This is not about subsidising lovies to go and see the latest production, but helping thousands of people, 
especially young people, through community engagement work. We have already seen the damage done to local services over the years by Suffolk County Council when it cut funding to, amongst others, youth services. We saw youth clubs closing and kids with nowhere to go. This was highlighted in the aftermath of the stabbing of Travis Spencer Atkins in Ipswich five years ago when local people complained about the lack of provision for teens. The authorities then pledged to do all they could to support young people. And here we are, five years later, seeing them rene on that promise. A shared statement from local organisations affected by the decision said the cut would make an extremely modest difference to the council's overall finances, but have a huge impact on communities across the county. Dance East, Eastern Angles Theatre Company, First Light Festival, the New Woolsey Theatre, Prima Donna Festival, Theatre Royal in Berries and Edmonds, and Suffolk Art Link said the cut in arts investment represented a saving of just 0.057% of the council's 23-24 revenue budget. Their joint statement said, The cost to our county will be so much more significant. Collectively, our organisations support almost 25,000 children and young people and almost 77,000 vulnerable people through our community engagement work. We also provide permanent employment for 154 staff and project or contract employment for a further 500 staff. Suffolk-wide, the culture sector plays an important part in providing employment for local people, with almost 7,000 jobs being supported by the sector. So, as you can see, it's not about cheap seats for lovies, it's about helping those most in need. Of course, Southwark County Council argue with an ageing population they are spending more on social care, etc., and must balance the books. I'm sure the Conservative-controlled authority doesn't want to do this, but their hand is being forced by a Tory government who seem hell-bent on ripping the heart and soul out of, lo- out of our local communities. I believe, <coughs> sorry, I believe the Tory leader of Suffolk County Council should stand up to his Conservative colleagues in Westminster and say, no, we've done enough, there's nothing left to cut. Our roads are regularly flooded with no imminent prospect of being sorted. We've got road signs falling over and dirty. We've got roads with potholes, no cat's eyes and no white lines. I could go on to the lack of subsidies for buses. The list of what's been cut in the last 13 years is horrendous. Yes, our our council spent too much, but the millions that have been cut are having a direct impact on our lives. Nationally, the government wastes billions of pounds every year and never seem accountable until election time. If we had a tighter rein on that budget, perhaps, we wouldn't need to cut so much locally and clean up their mess. If you feel strongly about this, this, voice your opinion to your local Suffolk County Councillor and maybe people power can reverse these cuts. And now we have a little bit of news in brief. Warm spaces. The Theatre Royal in Bury St Edmunds has opened as part of West Suffolk Council's Warm Welcome Space Initiative. 
The Westgate Street venue will be offering free tea, coffee and Wi-Fi in its green room bar every Tuesday, Wednesday and Saturday between 2.30 and 4.30pm. The project, funding by the Council, is to provide safe, warm and welcoming spaces for anyone struggling with heating costs during the winter months. And finally, a lunch organised by an anti-loneliness initiative drew in around 100 people at Stowmarket United Reform Church on Christmas Day. Jam Community Pot hosts the lunch annually. This year's meal was made possible with support from a number of local companies. Volunteers from the Knightslow accountancy firm helped set up the hall and wrap presents, while members of the Lions Club peeled vegetables and Tesco provided turkeys. Musical entertainment was provided by the Pop Chorus, a community choir specialising in, in contemporary music. Next year's Christmas dinner will be the 10th edition of the event. The Jam Community Pots founder, Michelle Frost, said feedback for the event had been positive. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you've been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Averill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Sue, Colin, David and Carol, it's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.